Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency management, COVID, uh, psychology and disasters, uh, anything that's relatable to those subjects. Speaking of which, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about, please feel free. Go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button underneath the graphic that says send the host an email. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything I get. If you'd like to promote a product or service on the show, uh, please feel free to reach out the same way and I can get you some information on that as well. I want to thank everybody at Stone Road with their product Boast Assessment com for sponsoring today's show. Their Boast Assessment allows you to do some self-assessments and know where your uh, program, Business Continuity Management Program, stands and where you need to focus or refocus your resources. And I'd like to thank everybody at solutionsreview.com for adding my book, Testing Disaster Recovery and Business Continuity, plans to their 16 uh, essential bo- uh, books Sorry for business continuity directors. Thank you, uh, everyone at solutionsreview.com, and uh, congratulations to the other authors that made that list as well. Now, to today's show, if you listened to uh, the show a lot last year, you would have heard me talk about the Continuity and Resilience Today conference. Uh, It was recently held in Toronto uh, in the beginning of October, and I had hoped uh, and said that uh, with previous CRT conferences, we'd get to talk with some of the guests and bring them on the show. And today is one of those speakers. And it's actually somebody who was on my list of people to reach out to for the last few months. So I was really happy that uh, I finally got a hold of him and he agreed to come and talk on the show today. So I'd like to talk, um, like to welcome to the show, Mr. Gary Sikic. Gary, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Alex. Now, before I uh, have you introduce yourself and and, uh, give us a bio, I just wanted you to know, I actually had one of your books. I know in your really? presentation, yeah, the integrated um, uh, business continuity. I, I was looking at your presentation ah. that you did at CRT, and I went, that cover looks familiar. But that wasn't the reason why I was trying to reach out to you. It was actually for an article on uh, something you had published in DRJ or something like that uh, a while back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I saw your presentation, you had the cover. I went, that looks familiar. So I went, <laughs> I went hunting through all these stacks of books that I've got and went, yeah, I've got his book here. <laughs> So I'm really glad to have you here now for more than one reason. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you have the book. It's kind of a, a rarity to find someone who's still got one. Oh, <laughs> well, it's I mean, you know, they're they're so they're so prized as far as people's possession <laughs> that no one wants to admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I admit it. There you go. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> 
Um, now, I know who you are and you know um, some of what uh, you've done, but uh, maybe some of our uh, listeners around the world uh, don't quite know who uh, Gary Sikic is. Can you kind of give us a little update on yourself, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, and how you got in the industry? Sure. Um, my name is Gary Sikic. Uh, first name is spelled G-E-A-R-Y. Last name S like Sam, I-K-I-C-H for those of you who want to Google search. Um, Basically, I got into this industry when I was in the military service back in the 70s. And one of the things we began to look at was how the Army, the United States Army, was training. And the realization came that the training was nowhere near what it would be like in real combat. And as a result, they began to redesign. So I got put in charge of redesigning some of the... um, large-scale unit training with tanks and armor and whatnot. Eventually, that evolved into what we call today the National Training Center, which is considered to be one of the best training facilities in the world, Um, and has been replicated, I think, in the the Sinai by the Egyptians and the Israelis, too, on a joint basis. Um, That led me to my kind of first civilian job after the military, which was to take that project that I was doing in the military to a step, the next step, and then I got involved with the nuclear industry right about the time of Three Mile Island. That evolved uh, into a couple other projects, and I did uh, a very large project for the Saudi Navy, and then I got moved away from my consulting work to uh, work for a utility company in Michigan, uh, developing emergency preparedness plans for their nuclear power plant, and built their program, uh, then left there, went out, became a consultant, nuclear industry, then the chemical industry after Bhopal, uh, the oil industry after Exxon, uh, uh, with Y2K, the financial industry, healthcare industry, and a number of other industries as a result. So I've been at this for probably 30 years now, um, have written actually four books um, that are Available, I believe, still on the Internet. Uh, The latest book was called Protecting Your Business in a Pandemic, uh, which I wrote in 2008 uh, when we were faced with the potential of H5N1, the bird flu, becoming a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got a lot of articles that I've updated over the years on the potential economic consequences of a pandemic. So those two kind of uh, get you up to somewhat to date, the funny part about it is that since I've written those and since I've continued to update the economic aspects uh, article, uh, I, I've been referred to in it by a number of people as being kind of a Nostradamus, and I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> but the truth <laughs> is, is that a lot of what I wrote in 2008 that looked at bird flu looked at how to protect your business, not how to deal with the virus. Uh, so no no real medical aspect, but business aspect, uh, has come to pass. We've seen kind of the economic consequences. We've seen a lot of businesses uh, struggling to survive as a result. And uh, the, the thing that, how I put it, the thing I did in the book was look at a lot of history. And you can see this on LinkedIn with some of my uh, posts looking at the uh, how long this is going to last. Um, a lot of people consider the pandemic to be a one-off kind of 
within the same time parameters. So as I began to look at this issue, I began to realize that uh, a lot of what we've done from a planning standpoint for business continuity um, doesn't necessarily have to be rethought, but it has to be much more flexible and begin to look at risk in a different light. So that kind of summarizes my background. Uh, I work with over 100 clients all over the world in uh, just about every industry you can imagine uh, to build plans, programs, and to uh, get them to be much more risk-resilient, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, what I found interesting about your presentation um, and you kind of alluded it, alluded to it already was the 500 to 800 day scenario. A lot of times in business continuity or disaster planning, uh, you know, we think of the the quick disaster, you know, the fire, the flood, the earthquake, the tornado. But with the pandemic, it, it's kind of flipped that on its head. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about you know 500 to 800 day scenario because that's like you know over two years. That's Really, a yeah, different the, way of the, thinking. The thing things. that I found when I researched the book, my latest called "Protecting Your Business in a Pandemic," um, was that we would go through a number of uh, cycles, if you will, from the initial declaration of a pandemic through the various stages uh, until it hopefully burns itself out, or we, we get something to mitigate it. Um, and begin to sector it in terms of looking at what businesses um, should do, just generally speaking. And then mm-hmm. what you should begin to look at from a standpoint of, well, um, how do you put it, protective planning. So planning that actually makes sense versus planning that could potentially uh, force the business to be exposed to a lot of liability issues. Um, the other aspect is that I begin to realize that, you know, with all the planning we did, we're doing at the time with the potential for bird flu, that there was no guarantee that this was going to be the pandemic, so to speak. So the the planning that was done when when we finally hit the point, I think it was like 
Um, and I think that, unfortunately, there was a tremendous amount of confusion. And I'll say this, that I, that my perspective on it back in February, March timeframe, right before they declared the pandemic, was that world health was going to jump the gun and declare a pandemic. Now, they didn't really jump the gun. They got burned back in 2010 when they declared a H1N1 pandemic. We had the outbreak of swine flu. Um, they declared it really fast. So this time, instead of jumping the gun in the way I thought they would do, they sort of put off, put off. When the evidence coming out of China uh, was starting to build and showing that a lot of vacation travel was going on, how fast the virus was spreading, how susceptible people were to it. Uh, when they finally did declare, there became a very, very uh, chaotic situation as a result because there was a lot of controversy over what should be done. Should I wear a mask? Should right. I not wear a mask? What should we do? What should we do? Uh, that's not ever been something that's been overcome because today, with a worldwide pandemic, we still see people resisting the wearing of masks, resisting the uh, lockdowns, etc. And so you're, you really have to see this in this light and understand that uh, by virtue of a few simple mistakes early on, it has complicated the situation and people are very frustrated by it. Um, and it's challenge businesses uh, more so than, than than one would think. But wouldn't that come from uh, almost any situation? You know, when, when we have earthquakes or tornadoes or anything else, we don't know all the details up front. We learn more as we go through. Isn't a, a, a pandemic like COVID kind of the same? We didn't know a lot about it at the beginning. Yeah, I think that there you can draw some similarities. The the dissimilarities would be that with an earthquake, a tornado, wildfires, uh, any kind of catastrophic event, whether it be natural or man-made, there is a visual general impact. You know, we see wildfires on TV and see the houses burning. We see, um, you know, the effects of an earthquake. We will see the effects of uh, Hurricane Zeta. Down in in the in the Gulf of uh, in the United States, we'll see the the visual effects. We we can uh, kind of embrace them, if you will, and I'm use that term lightly. But it's yeah. like you can see it because it's there. You see the damage with the coronavirus. The difference has been that we have had a variety of, uh, of impacts from it. You had the severe impacts of people dying being put on ventilators in hospitals. Um, and then you've had the mild cases and people saying, oh, I had it, it's not, no big deal. So you, you get this kind of mishmash. And then as a result, you get somewhat of a confused, what should I do thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing, I think, with this is that because it's a virus, unlike a physical damage to a facility or you know, death of people, you don't see it. And as a result of not seeing it, it's hard to to uh, get your mindset as to what you can do. 
Um, is that the so kind the, of the thing is, sight, is that, is that there is confusion over should we wear masks or should we not wear masks? What should we do? There's right. been, you know, the U.S. CDC, the World Health Organization, they've really uh, had a tough time with this one. Now, I'll say this, that yes, it's a novel virus, so there's a tremendous amount of unknowns. We're seeing, and I just saw this on this morning, uh, the news, talking about this uh, emergence again in Europe, and they're saying it's a um, different form of the virus. So people have to really understand the, the nature of viruses, and it's that they mutate, and they constantly mutate. I mean, when this first came out, there were six strains. The last time I looked, there was over 20 strains, and now they're saying this is another mutation of the virus that's causing the, the next surge. You can go back in history, look at the Spanish influenza, and get some perspective, um, but then again, you have to be careful on the parallels you draw. Are we going to see the same kind of surge that we saw during the, the Spanish influenza. Now, will we see the same sort of deaths occurring? Um, and you have to understand that the world has changed a lot since the 1917-1819 time frame, and that there are a lot of things we do that are different and that are, um, because of technology, allow us to, to do things much more in an advanced weight basis. But the fact is that People are going to get sick. The, uh, the effects of this are yet to really be known. And uh, when they talk about long-term effects, I, I kind of chuckle because I look at it and think, we haven't been in it that long. We're roughly about 180 days into this pandemic. And mm-hmm. how can you talk long-term when you haven't even gotten past the, you know, the 200 days? So the, the, the health effects and everything else that we talk about are, to my mind, they're somewhat speculative um, as far as what we see. There's a lot of projections as to what could be happening, you know, the the long-term potential health issues, but there's no guarantee that those are, in fact, the actual things that are going to happen. Interestingly enough, if you begin to look at the uh, health issues, I've had Well, my sister is a nurse at a VA hospital. She got it back in March. Um, Fortunately, she was uh, two weeks home quarantine with what I consider to be a relatively mild case. Um, As a result, she still suffers from fatigue. She has no sense of taste or smell uh, yet to recover. And this is some of the things that we're starting to see come out that more and more people are starting to report this issue. The doctors that uh, work with her basically told her it could be months, it could be longer, a year or more, or you could just never get your sense of taste and smell back. Wow. Um, As I mentioned, I've had a couple of colleagues that had it. Um, The interesting point with with them is that one of them is in his probably mid-30s or so, um, very healthy young man, state trooper in Illinois, and he got it now. He immediately lost his senses of taste and smell. How bad the virus will be for him is still yet to be known. But we're seeing as this virus mutates, it's expanding its uh, purview, if you will, in terms of target population. So it used to be older people 
people with medical conditions. And then it's now slowly started to get into the larger spectrum of younger people. Um, somewhat similar in terms of how the Spanish influenza evolved, but not something you can draw specific parallels to. It's a different, different virus, different time. And I think that's the perfect spot to end our first segment. We're talking with Jerry Sikich about COVID-19 and the current pandemic, and we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Gary Sikic uh, about COVID-19 and his presentation at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference uh, in early October this year. Uh Gary, during our uh, chat and our break, you started to get into some uh, good information about uh, um, where we're going, uh, what Dr. Fauci has said um, regarding us coming into the flu season, and some people uh, believing that we're done, uh, you know, and not knowing where where we could be in you know uh, the next hundred, two hundred, three hundred days. Can you kind of elaborate on some of the information that uh, you've been seeing lately that you started to get into when we, we were on our break? Um, some of the things we're, you know, seeing, and, and what I've begun to look at is, is where the mindsets of people are starting to get to be. You know, there has been a tremendous amount of uh, push with regards to vaccine development, and that 
suddenly people thought, oh, well, once we get a vaccine, don't worry about it. This thing's over. The realities are becoming clear that, one, a vaccine is not the easiest thing to develop. Two, as the virus mutates, there's more potential uh, that the vaccine will be less effective. But the real issues that we we yet to tackle, although they've been somewhat touched on, but very, very sketchily, if today they got a vaccine that worked and it was approved, what are some of the issues that we face? One, how do we produce sufficient quantity of that vaccine? Uh, one of the other issues is how do we store it? Because my understanding right now is it's got to be stored at extremely cold temperatures. Then we get into distribution, the whole logistics of it, getting the vaccine distributed. You know, that doesn't that also includes not just the vaccine vial, but the syringes, et cetera, that go with it. Then you get to the actual implementation. Who gets the shot or the vaccine? <laughs> How do we schedule that? What do we do as far as workaround? And the biggest issue, which is one that, again, this morning I just saw, um, what do we do when people say, I don't want to take the vaccine? I'm not taking yeah. the shot. Mm-hmm. So you've got vaccine resistance that you're going to have to deal with. How do you deal with that? Is that going to be something that is you know, government intervention that forces people to do these, uh, take the vaccine? You know, there's all kinds of things that complicate that, that chain from development to implementation. And it's really critical that we begin to understand it because it affects business in so many ways. Um, and it affects how we're living in a lot of respects. Uh, the whole aspect of being more and more isolated and more and more dependent upon infrastructure, uh, internet, etc., that is in many respects potentially very vulnerable. So you've got the issue of cyber attacks. You've got the issue of uh, you know, bad weather taking out you know, critical infrastructure. We're seeing that right now in, in uh, the, the Gulf Coast where uh, Hurricane Zeta has hit. They're already talking about major power outages. You're seeing it in the West with the wildfires. A lot of potential issues impact the infrastructure that we have out there for the utilities, etc. So you've got a lot of complicating factors. Um, the potential for the flu season, normal flu and virus, the COVID virus, to mix in some way, shape, or form, which is what viruses do, to become somewhat of a different, you know, I won't say you know, a super virus, but something a lot more challenging, which makes the, mm-hmm. the vaccine process even more complicated. So, yeah, there's a lot, I think, that we need to rethink our mindset towards looking at longer term and looking at how do we keep the business going with regards to protecting our employees, reducing risk exposure. And I think one of the key things is beginning to look at how can my business innovate? What can I do if I can't do what I normally do business-wise? How do I innovate so that I actually can develop and provide a service. Um, you know, a lot of industries and in, let's say the construction industry can find that there's work available to build things that
innovate. Now, the, uh, the brewing, brewing and distilling organizations have quickly, you know, shifted some production over to making hand sanitizer. It's, yeah, the the brewery down the street from uh, <laughs> you know, where you're I just not drinking that. it; you're just yeah. rubbing your hands with it. So, yeah. there there have been some good innovations that have helped, um, and it shows you how quickly response can develop into a proactive response versus a reactive. What do we do? Well, I got a question for you because you you mentioned um, hurricanes in the Gulf, and uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's been a few communities in the Gulf of Mexico, there, southern U.S., that have they haven't even recovered from uh, you know a hurricane earlier in the season, and they're getting hit again with more storms, and they've got uh, COVID nineteen to deal with, and we're moving into the flu season. So, how does um, how should organizations prepare for multiple situations at the same time now? And to your well, point, you know, you know, changing situations. Yeah, we, we've always espoused, I think, since back in the days when I was first introduced to the concept of disaster recovery and business continuity, um, the all-hazards approach. Now, I firmly believe in taking an all-hazards approach because what you end up with is a much more flexible structure in terms of plan and in terms of response. It looks more at how do we get critical functions accomplished regardless of what the situation is, whether it's a wildfire or the coronavirus or a combination of those, um, as we're seeing like in the Gulf right now, hurricanes, um, whatnot. So you, you begin to start to see that organizations have to build a resiliency in their culture and they have to begin to tie in the business continuity, risk management, and the goals and objectives of the organization to ensure that, that one, that they can achieve the goals and objectives, two, that the business continuity and risk management program supports the achievement of those objectives, um, and then that we really get into this aspect of, like I said, the employee employees, uh, how, how do we protect them, what do we do to reduce our risk exposures, um, and then how, do, how can we innovate as situations evolve, what do we new, need to do to be extremely flexible. I think those are critical in a lot of respects. Uh, people are faced with a number of situations. I'll give you an example. I was looking at a, uh, an opportunity to work in, uh, in Africa recently. Um, and I had to really assess risk issues, well, you know, my risk exposure, if you will. Uh, caught a, a blurb, uh, one of the news media uh, said that they've got a swine flu outbreak in Africa. Now, swine flu outbreak doesn't mean it's been human to human. It's more in the animal population. But swine flu's jumped you know, species before. You look at... Other, other issues, what are the risk exposures, what, what kind of situation. The country that I was going to go from in, into a working situation um, is not a country that has good health care. The organization that I was going to work with just said, basically, you're an independent, you're, you're on your own as far as medical. Um, and I thought, <laughs> that's a real risk issue. Do I want to take the risk, the swine flu, with... Uh, the coronavirus situation. Um, and also, as I found out just recently, uh, the country happens to be on the 
cusp of or brink of a civil war. So combine all those factors together and you start to look at, is my risk exposure worth the opportunity? Um, And from my standpoint, at this point, without being able to have some guarantee of, of, you know, being taken care of on the medical side, if I got sick, um, you know, from an evacuation to, you know, a place where there were hospitals of good good standing, um, the the risks far outweighed the the benefits. So you have to really begin to see these things. Point I'll make with this is that if companies begin to look at their risk exposures, you have to go and begin to think of risk exposure differently. Risk is not an identification process of, here's a risk, don't worry about it, we've done this to mitigate. Risk is never static. Risk consistently and constantly changes by virtue of you, what you do. You identify, you've changed the risk. Think of everybody who identifies a risk that we mutually all identify. Mm-hmm. How has it changed because of all the different mitigation things that we are looking at doing, which we generally don't coordinate between ourselves? So supply chain issues uh, become huge in a lot of respects. One of the things that early on uh, in the coronavirus pandemic, China did was suspend a lot of contracts for uh, you know products that they were getting import- importing in, mainly energy products, so oil, natural gas, etc. They declared force majeure very quickly. Now that put the whole supply chain into chaos. What do I mm-hmm. do with my ship that's full of oil or full of natural gas or whatever product? that is out at sea and I have to find a way to get it back someplace because now what do I do? And, I, and then, then I've got the process of the ship's no longer going to be in service because it's full of product and I've got to figure out where I can offload it. So the I, remember, I remember reading stories in the paper chain. and on the news that um, around China, Japan, all across the Western sea, but well, everywhere, all these uh, freighters that were full uh, weren't allowed to dock because exactly. they, the uh, the ports were all closed due to COVID. So now think about this. This is a complicating factor. There are only a, there are a certain finite number of ships in the world. When you take a ship out of service, you begin to see the reduction. So in terms of supply chain impact, when you look at the crews who man these ships. You have to realize that the crews are also a finite resource. You can't take you or I, I don't know if you're a, a, an experienced uh, you know, seaman or, or not, but neither one of us would do well on a, on a super tanker, I would assume, uh, as, far as, as far as the work that would go on. So you, you begin to start looking at what, what are the skills? What is the impact? How does this take us? And you mentioned the ships being out at sea and not being allowed into port. A lot of those ships were also now quarantined because somebody got coronavirus on the ship. So there, again, more and more is this kind of cascading effect. And mm-hmm. it gets into looking at all the things that go into the process. So it's from, let's say, the wellhead uh, on, a, on an oil drilling platform that's producing to the pipeline, to the port, to the sea, you know, the ship, etc. The cascade effect is enormous, and we're we're seeing 
the effect of it. You know, oil oil companies now um, are actually in a hurt because of the the coronavirus. Why? Because we reduced our consumption. Um, that's been positive in some respects because we've had improved air quality as a result. So a, a a a good situation in some respects, even though it's affecting us in a lot of different ways. Um, give you an example: Exxon Mobil just announced fourteen thousand people that are going to be laid off because of the downturn in the industry, because of coronavirus, etc. So you start to see that there are going to be major impacts that are going to affect us with regards to things that we don't control. Um, and that's is, that, is that kind for, of the danger of, of like putting all our eggs? Is there, is there kind of a danger then to putting all our eggs in one basket? Because um, the, the example I'm thinking of is Western Canada with the oil sands. They had, uh, well, they're having a problem you know, with oil demand, of course, so people are laid off. Um, but then at the same time, they didn't. The the governments out there, uh, federal, all levels, didn't want to invest in solar energy, you know, wind or anything else. And now with COVID, and there's a supply chain impact. Suddenly, all the eggs that were put in one basket, you know, um, everybody's impacted, and the you know, it's just, you know, uh, communities are suffering and everything. So. It, when we look at our supply chain, do we have to look at not just multiple suppliers, but literally different ways of looking at our supply chain? I, I think you're exactly right. It's not just multiple suppliers. It's different ways of looking at the supply chain. It's understanding the impact of a risk being realized and the cascade effect that has. Mm-hmm. Um, all too often when we do risk ass- assessments and risk analysis, we really look at what's the impact on us, our organization. What we don't see in a lot of respects is the impact that cascades out to you know, suppliers, vendors, customers especially, um, and all those parts of the organization that we have no control over, you know, whether they be a contracted vendor or whether they be a customer or whether they be a, you know, a utility that can be interdicted by the government. So, you know, for example, in many respects, and a lot of people um, don't really realize this, but under the national security governance that we have in the United States, when September 11th occurred, all the T1 lines in the United States could have been taken over by the government for national security purposes because of demand. And so businesses that had T1 lines would have had them taken away without any notice, per se. Uh, It's the same thing when you look at the situation we're in today. What potential things could be deemed critical to the the security, whether it's the U.S., Canada, Europe, uh, Africa, Asia, it doesn't matter. What kind of things could we see suddenly become an issue? Now, China, a great example of this, during the first part of the uh, coronavirus outbreak, China is the number one producer of needles and masks and all kinds of medical supplies. Yes. They went to Turkey and ordered something like 150 million or 200 million masks. Uh, 
a blurb came out in the a company from in Turkey that was you know, contracted. He says, we're working seven days a week, 24 hours a day to meet this demand, and we are afraid we won't be able to meet it. Now, a big, the biggest producer in the world going out because suddenly they need masks, they need to, you know, an external supplier. India, in the same week, announced that they were not going to export any of their medical uh, supplies that they usually. So that's, you know, syringes, that's, uh, other medical things, masks, etc. You're keeping them all internal. So now you begin to look at what the situation what we had developed in the States. Where do we get the masks? Where do we get these things? And you find that our supply chain breaks down because some other country decides they need it more and it's an internal issue versus we know we have contract obligations, but you know, we can't meet them. We've got our own problem. So there, there's a really, really challenging situation. Uh, you know, one of the big things that the administration in Washington has been dinged about is that they didn't have the supplies ready. Understand how business works versus how government works. Government can stockpile because they, mm-hmm. they have the ability to do that from a standpoint of money and, and whatnot. Business looks at stockpiling. You take your average hospital. They probably don't have a lot of supply backup as far as the, the stockpiles. Why? Because it costs money to keep things in inventory. Business runs differently than government. So we really need to kind of look at Instead of, uh, how would I put it, focusing on the negative aspect and saying, well, they, they did this wrong, they did that wrong, and saying, how do we change that model so that we become more flexible? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll state this kind of just really quickly. We've got, in the United States, 50 states. It's unfortunate that we have 50 states that decide to act independently of each other versus working in concert biggest mistake this country in the United States made as far as things go was to focus their attention on pointing the finger at other states, pointing the finger at the federal government, and not figuring out how to cooperate and build a uniform response. You know, we always talk about unified command. We always talk about incident command systems and all the things we should do and how we should unify in a crisis. You're seeing an example of disunification in a crisis. So the, the what not to do example. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's why are you guys fighting each other? Um, you know, it's yeah. funny, I live in Indiana. Illinois is, is pretty much closed off uh, the borders, per se, to some 30-some-odd states. We don't want your people coming in here. Now, there are some exclusions if, you can, if you're commuting to work and things like that. But the realization is, what is, what is it that you're gaining by that? You know, yeah. You're not protecting anybody. You're still they're still seeing their numbers in Illinois go up every day. It's like another almost seven thousand this morning. So the the benefit. What is the benefit? Is it is it you know political gain at the cost of people, or is it that they're really trying to do something by being you know, in lockdown? Yeah, and is that effective? Um, we're, we're I, already think, seeing that I think on that note, the, we. The, I think on that note, we've got to take our uh, second break. break. (laughs) So 
Uh, and we will be right back. We're talking with Jerry Sikich today about uh, pandemic and his presentation at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Gary Sikich about his presentation on the coronavirus at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference earlier this year, October. Um, Gary, there's so much information that I know you can convey. What are some of the other things we need to uh, organizations or, or even local governments? Um, you know, if you could take the next uh, seven, eight minutes or so, and you know, what are some of the other things we need to consider and do? I think some of the biggest things that need to be considered are how government and the private sector can build a cooperative alliance, if you will, so that the government, you know, figures out a way to make make businesses, uh, I won't say whole again, but figures out a way to help businesses stay in business versus, you know, the lockdown with the the effects that we've had. There's, there's got to be a way to, for us to be um, safe or safe, safer, safe some right way, shape, or form, and yet still be able to keep the engines running in terms of the economy. Um, you know, the whole issue of border closures, the whole issue of, of this uh, lack of cooperation needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to begin to understand that this is not going to be a fight on a single source basis, we're going to have to deal with a lot of other things in terms of the uh, you know, the 
seasonal changes. We're, we're in flu season. We're going to be in the winter. We're going to probably have some severe weather here in the, uh, you know, the, the north part of the, the United States and, and Canada. Um, so you're going to have to deal with those situations. You're going to have to look at the long-term economic consequences. How do we actually build some resilience? And then how do we kind of look at things and say that we need to, we need to help um, individuals and entities in such a way that it makes them uh, resilient and it makes them be a productive part of the overall economy. Uh, and that's a challenge, I think, in, in many respects for government because <laughs> they really need to begin to understand that the, the measures that they take, well, maybe well-intentioned, may have some negative consequences. And in the same way, business should begin to look at things and say, not resist, but figure out ways to be innovative approaches to, 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 you know, offer alternatives to government. Look, you want to do this, you want to lock down, you want to shut down restaurants, etc. Um, how about we do this? Here, here's an innovative approach. Here's things we can do. I think that there's going to have to be some big changes in terms of uh, how, how we cooperate in these regards. Uh, again, and this goes not in just domestic, but also on the international side. What would happen if the border between the U.S. and Canada was closed? What would happen if the border between U.S. and Mexico? Closed. I mean closed. Nobody's getting across. Yeah. What do we do? How do we deal with that? Um, what do we do with, you know, Europe? What do we do with uh, Southeast Asia and Asia in general? What do we do with Africa, South America? You know, there are a lot of complexities. And I have to realize that this is no longer a simple society that we see worldwide, it's a very complex society that is interdependent in so many ways. Now, can we afford to do some of the things that we're doing um, with regards to trade, with regards to uh, you know, supply chain, with regards to you know, operations of industries? It, 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 you know, the cruise industry is probably going to have a really, really tough time recovering from this yeah. event. I, I agree with you on that one. Oof. And we've seen already that there are a lot of cruise ships that have gone to the breaking yards and are being you know, put, put into the salvage as a result. So how much you know, can they withstand before they can't withstand it anymore? Those gets us into kind of looking at, you know, Things that we, we can talk about risk appetite and, and whatnot. And I look at and tell, tell people, it's like, you have the biggest risk appetite in the world. It's how much risk can you sustain? How much can you stand before you can't stand anymore? And you go, you know, bankrupt or belly up or you mm -hmm. just cease to exist. Um, look at the complexities. Think about how, how these touch points fit and how much we have in terms of dependencies. Um, for individuals on a planning basis, how, how can you get back to, you know, stockpiling some basics? I think those are kind of key. Um, and be prepared to look at 
uh, a longer-term disruption and its potential impacts. Um, and I think those are the challenges that companies are going to face, organizations are going to face, and it's a uh, um, you know, it's it's a society that is uh, worldwide very complex, where you can't really go back. Uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the rural days back before the internet and whatnot. We really got to look at how can we leverage forward the technologies to make things work better and yeah. do it in a more cooperative fashion. It, it's kind of way, uh, I know we've got uh, only two minutes left, but it's mm-hmm. kind of going forward, we have to leverage technology, but think of new ways of being able to go forward so that if that technology and, and et cetera is missing, we're still able to adapt. So mm-hmm. in, in we're looking backwards to go forwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, we have to be kind of looking at what was successful, how can we innovate that success into a move forward? Yeah. And then yeah. and then as we do that, how do we kind of leverage that so that we can actually cascade it in a positive way through all the, assail- the, the industries and contact points and touch points that we have that we work yeah. with on a day-to-day basis. How yeah. do we make this whole thing work, work. under duress? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and again, there again, we start to see a perspective on the individual. How do you deal with the mental stress of this duress? What yeah. needs to get done? by government, by companies, to facilitate the individual so that they can get through this situation. Yeah, I think I think the individual part is going to have a big play place in our industry and other industries going forward. Now, on that note, we've already come to the end of our show, uh, Jerry. I, I want to thank you for spending your time and sharing lots of insights um, I really enjoyed uh, sitting here and listening to you. So thank you for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to you know, seeing us on the other side of this, becoming much more uh, robust as a society uh, in general. Uh, I th- I th- well, I'm going to think positive, and I'm going to say we will. It, it won't be easy, but I think we will. And, uh, you know, leveraging some of the insights you gave us, that'll help uh, help us uh, along for sure. Um, so thank, thank you for sharing your time again. And everyone that's out there, um, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.